Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, it's a political special edition and the stakes are high so there's no ball. We're milking this for all it's worth. CEO Andrew Hall has told the National Press Club that stamp duty is no cash cow. The numbers just don't add up, much like my grade 12 calculus exam. Calculus. We've got no beef with the skeptics, but everything we said last week under the emergency services levy changes seem to have gone in one ear and out the other. And while I continue to butcher this intro, Afka takes stock of the situation and sees the movement, finally finding favor in the insured. Hello everyone, this week I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Senior Journalist Bernice Han, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Welcome Terry. Good morning. Why do cows have hooves instead of feet, Terry? Oh, Andrew, I have grandchildren. I know the answer to that because they lack toes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get one past you. Hello, John. Hello. Are these cow puns giving you deja vu? Yes, very good. It's too early for me to think of a response, I'm afraid. Hello, Benny's. Hi, Andrew. I bet you wish you could push the moot button on me. <laughs> and good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. How was Canberra? Was it divine or should I say bovine? <laughs> It was it was good. <laughs> That's all I can say. Well, you were there last week to listen to ICA CEO Andrew Hall's speech on the National Press Club. What can you tell us about that? Andrew Hall delivered a, a speech on the protection gap and what it means for Australia. As you mentioned, he pressed home again that uh, when it comes to short-term actions to improve affordability, the states can help by removing stamp duties of around 10%. And at the same time, pressures from increased exposure to natural catastrophes aren't going away and we need to spend uh, more money on uh, mitigation and have better land use planning for the future. And he, he, you know, he stressed that's been the message from reinsurers that have put through increases in the cost of their cover after they've had losses from Australian catastrophes in the last few years. Is this event an indication that insurance issues are becoming more mainstream, Terry? Yeah, that's a good question. The, the problems of affordability and, and availability were, were always going to create a mainstream issue. It was just a matter of time. But really, I mean, it's also a sign of two things happening. The government knows the industry stretched in several directions at once. And the industry has at long last got its communications act together uh, after a very, very long absence. Andrew Hall and his team came to ICA with, with a big background in politics, and they've done a great job in raising the industry's profile in Canberra and, I guess, in Sydney. The Federal Financial Services Minister, Stephen Jones, has been a willing learner too. So well done, everyone. Well, last week, Wendy, it seemed like support for the emergency services levy reform was unanimous, but some sceptics are coming out of the woodwork. Well, the Property Council says it supports moves to improve insurance affordability, uh, but it's concerned about a shift so the levy is calculated on the improved value of land. So the government is still consulting on what it's going to do, but it said it's going to, rem to remove the levy from insurance and apply instead to property. So the Property Council is saying it, it doesn't want to see further cost burdens on a development sector that's already uh, straining from a range of new taxes uh, and infrastructure contribution charges. And local government New South Wales um, has also mentioned that the state government hasn't said whether these reforms will decouple the ESL from council rates. So at the moment, a portion of it is collected there at the moment. So we, we don't really know what the plan is for that 
part either. Do you expect more opposition to the reform, Terry, when the government details how its replacement scheme will work? Well, I don't think there's an emergency services scheme anywhere that, that doesn't disadvantage one group or another. I mean, it's just a, the nature of the thing. We saw what happened the last time when, when the Berejiklian government was forced to choose between the benefits of the many through lower premiums and the interests of industry groups and businesses through lobbying and shouting a lot. So, yes, I do expect to hear lots more shouting. Well, we've reported on plenty of AFCA business interruption rulings, Wendy, but we finally found one in favour of the insured. This is a caravan park near Tamworth, uh, and it was the park that was part of the first industry test case uh, on exclusion wording citing the Quarantine Act. So the court found that insurers couldn't rely on that wording to knock out a claim, but then the policy still has to be looked at in terms of the rest of the wording. So that policy went to AFCA, and a claim was made under a disease clause after the park uh, had to close to um, tourists. And the dispute that AFCA considered then really centred on whether there had been a COVID outbreak within 20 kilometres of the park that caused the um, business interruption loss. So AFCA considered evidence about a passenger from the Ruby Princess cruise ship who who tested positive and lived in that area and had attended a a clinic and also other information that was given about various uh, cases. And AFCA ruled that there was a valid claim and the business interruption loss was the result of an outbreak of a notifiable human infectious disease within a 20 kilometre radius of the insured premises. Why is this claim covered, John, when most others are not? Well, that is a very good question and one that I can't answer. In previous AFCA rulings that we've reported on, uh, they've said that it isn't enough for there to be an outbreak within the designated distance because the outbreak wasn't the cause of the closure. That that the cause of the closure was was a sort of a statewide order. So I guess the only thing we can say is, as usual, every policy is different, the wording is different, uh, and the circumstances of every claim are different too. There have been law firms out there saying that despite the outcome of the test cases, they believe there are valid claims out there. And I guess this ruling backs that up to a certain degree. This AFCA ruling was also handled, as Wendy says, as part of the test case process. So it may be that the level of expertise in presenting the case to Africa was beyond what what they normally see. We, we've had a close look at it, and we we don't know 100% why this one is different. So if there's any lawyers out there who want to get in touch and explain it, we'd, we'd be very grateful. Well, on to life insurance. Benice, the government is consulting on how insurers can use genetic testing. Yeah, this is a huge development, this one for the life industry. So basically, the uh, government is looking to regulate life insurers' use of genetic testing results in the underwriting process. Because um, at the moment, the it's basically self-regulated. The industry has this self-regulated moratorium on the use of genetic testing. But then there's been a lot of noise, uh, especially in the last few years, about how the moratorium is not working and it's failing to protect Australians who feel they may be discriminated if they're genetic test results are adverse and then the life insurance application may be, de- may be declined or they may be, you know, charged a higher uh, premium. So a federally funded report by Monash University uh, mentioned in the Treasury consultation, so says the uh, moratorium is, is not working. Basically, insurers are not complying with it. And because the moratorium does not apply under certain conditions, say if a lump sum death cover is more than 500,000, uh, insurers can actually ask Australians about their test results. 
etc. So um, Treasury has uh, proposed three regulatory intervention options and uh, legislating a ban is one of them. So this is uh, one to watch out for as the uh, consultation progresses. Well, I watched Gattaca and was never a fan of Ethan Hawke. What do you think, Terry? Should there be a ban? Look, I, I think I was writing about this issue around about 20 years ago, and I really don't see that it's moved more than a couple of inches. It's all about the customer's right to privacy versus the insurer's right to know the relevant risks. And the argument is that if the the customer really wants to avoid the insurer finding out anything about them, then they don't take the tests. And and that could result in, in them having something wrong with them that they're not aware of. Look, I, I really don't think the debate's moved and it's a huge, difficult issue. And there's no really realistic solution that doesn't disadvantage someone. Uh, so look, i I'm throwing this one out. I'll leave it to the philosophers to to figure out a decent balance for this. I mean, I was meaning should we ban Ethan Hawke, but a very good response to the other. Well, finally, Bernice, the federal government has released its cyber strategy. This will interest insurers, won't it? Yeah, most definitely. So the 2023-2030 cyber strategy was released last week after an extensive consultation process and the ICA uh, made a submission too. So uh, ransomware has been listed as one of the top priorities and the plan is to develop a ransomware playbook. So the aim is to break the ransomware business model and the government wants to work with stakeholders, including insurers, to do it. So, um, I mean, ransomware, as we know, is a huge problem and it's getting worse. One cybercrime is reported every six minutes and ransomware is causing like what up to $3 billion in damages to the economy every year. So um, the playbook will provide clear guidance to businesses and citizens on how to prepare for, deal with and bounce back from ransom demands. So and then the government also uh, says it wants to co-design with industry uh, uh, to legislate a no-fault, no-liability ransomware reporting obligations for businesses. And also the government has reiterated its stance that ransomware payments basically is against caving into ransomware extortion demands. But uh, insurers have a somewhat different view on this. Yeah. What about ransom payments, John? Are they still allowed? Yes, well, they are because the government has stopped short of of banning them in this strategy in this strategy that is that is proposing. As Bernice says, there is a line in there which basically frown upon the the uh, the idea that you would pay these criminals. And we've talked a lot about this in the past. There's obvious reasons why various groups and individuals and politicians think that uh, the payment of of ransoms should be banned you know by paying them you're you're encouraging the crime and making it more likely that others will be targeted but those in the insurance industry or most in the insurance industry don't don't see it that way it's not quite that simple i mean one point that's always been made is that only a minority of small businesses have cyber insurance so it can't be cyber insurance that is driving this problem and yes it's not a good idea to pay them but the industry would say and the ICA says in its submission to this strategy that um it can be the best option you know recovery and replacement can be very expensive and uh, for some smaller businesses paying the ransom is is kind of the last resort that they have to go to and the ICA says that that decision is a decision taken by the victim not the insurer and that it should remain that way that it should be an option that 
that is open to a ransomware victim. And they said that any ban could disproportionately affect smaller entities. So yeah, the insurance industry will will be pleased that there was no ban. And I think they'll also welcome a lot of these other measures too. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, John Deeks, Benice Han, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your feedback. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.